Welcome to episode 20 of Paranormal. Our topic this time is orb photography. And I think we have everybody uh, in our normal uh, panel, except for Doug Van Dorn, at least right now. Maybe Doug will join us later, but we have uh, Natalina with us, and Doug Overmeyer, and Brian Gadawa, Trey Strickland, and I'm Mike Heiser. So mostly everybody's here. I think, Doug uh, Overmeyer, this was... This was your proposal, correct? Am I remembering that correctly? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, bef- before we jump in, as as is our custom, I want to uh, just say a little bit of, hey, what is this topic? And then the three, we had three resources this time that we uh, took a look at and also a, a YouTube video that Doug provided. So what we're going to talk about are these this sort of ubiquitous, it seems, if you if you Google this, you know, you're going to find lots of hits and lots of videos and lots of photos uh, of these small, little circular orbs or globes. These these small lights that show up in pictures, and it could be one, it could be a whole bunch. Uh, they're not always the same size. They're typically translucent, uh, but they you know they they are invisible. Uh, the, the photographer, the pr- people you know taking the, the photograph will say this, I didn't see this when I took the picture. They're invisible to the naked eye at the time of the photograph, but there they are. And to sort of tackle this subject, uh, other than the YouTube video, and we will have that embedded on the episode uh, page. And I think everybody who's listening to this should watch that. And I'll, I'll explain why I, I think that as we get into it later on. But our three resources were in an essay by Luciano Pedrazzoli, Photos of Globes or Orbs, an Analysis. That was an updated article from the SSRN, Social Science Research Network. And the date for the updated version of that was 2017. We also looked at Gary Schwartz and Catherine Kreeth. Their article was entitled Anomalous Orbic Spirit Photographs, a Conventional Optical Explanation. That was from the Journal of Scientific Exploration. Volume 19, uh, number 3, 2005. And there's a link to that and the link to the previous essay on the episode webpage because they are publicly available on the internet. The third item uh, is not uh, publicly available, at least I haven't found a link for it. And that is an article by Dave Wood called The Orb Zone, subtitle Accounts of Experimentation into the Natural Causes of Orbs. And that's from the Journal for the Society of Psychical Research, Volume 71. That's a 2012 uh, peer-reviewed article. So those were our sources. And I'm, as many on our panel do, I'm sure they went out and looked at other things as well. But for those who are listening, again, these article references will be listed on the episode webpage and, of course, the, the video. So, I mean, I have... I have some specific feelings about this, but I don't want to prime anybody else. <laughs> so what did you all uh, think of this? Have you ever, let's start with, have you ever taken a photo um, and had this appear? Anybody on the panel? Not that I remember for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't take a whole lot of pictures, so I'm, I'm a no vote there. Anybody else? I will assume silence means no. <laughs> well, no, but after reading the articles, I actually tried to create one of the, situation to the oh, oh look oh see I, I see what they're talking about so it was kind of kind that's of a really good segue uh because that's why i think everybody listening to the episode ought to watch the video 
that to me the video is the the one you sent anyway mm-hmm. is a textbook illustration of what the articles are talking about as far as a natural explanation. There are two light sources in that video. There's a stationary one that you can see reflected in the TV. There's one with the camera. At one point, the person holding the camera puts their hand in front of the camera, and you can see the light source there. Uh, There's the kid in in the subject of the video doing uh, cartwheels and such, and, you know, with a blanket, you be stirring up all kinds of dust. Uh, there's there's a rug there as well that she's going back and forth on. And so, to me, this is if you read the articles and you might might not quite know what the writers are talking about, go watch the video um, because I I could see again if you took the camera away and you were just sitting in the room, there's a there's a lot that you wouldn't see, you know, with the naked eye. I mean, if you were like when she, you know, shuffles the blanket, I don't even know if that's the right term, a couple of times. If you were, you know, right on top of the kid, you know, you, you might see some dust particles there. But for the most part, you wouldn't see these things with the naked eye. But through the lens, it's like, boy, there's a lot of that. Um, so I, to me, it was really helpful. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a terribly uh, visual person anyway, but that was, that was really good. Uh, the one article, let me just say one more thing before we jump in here. The one by uh, Schwartz, and Kreeth, I believe, yeah, that's the one, actually tells us, you know, what the situation here is. Yeah, I like the Schwartz and uh, Kreeth one. It was, you know, an excellent uh, way to, you know, do an experiment and simplified and and uh, easy to follow. So I really enjoyed that one. I mean, they, they say basically that, you know, just to paraphrase here, there isn't a whole lot of research done on this, this subject, <laughs> you know, kind of lamenting the fact that, it's really hard to find anything or maybe it's the other article because they referenced the Kreeth and Schwartz article. So there isn't a whole lot done here. The, the, you know, that article was 2005. The other one's a little bit later. And so that's kind of a fundamental article, you know, for this subject, as far as peer review stuff goes. Did you actually define this, the orbs thing? Did I miss that? (laughs) Yeah. Just, just this, this phenomenon of, of, for the viewers, these little, the these listener. little bulbs, yeah, yeah, for the viewers, yeah, um, the little bulbs, you know, of light appearing on photographs that were not, you know, there with the naked eye, that that sort of thing. So, you know, what did you all think about this? Um, you know, to me, I think you, you can already tell. I, I thought the articles more than capably uh, explained with illustrations, as far as drawings and diagrams. You know, trying to make technical photography digestible to somebody like me. To me, I, I found them pretty satisfying. What do the paranormal people say they are? Spirits, angels, light beings, energy UFOs. beings, aliens. Yeah. Emanations, whatever that means. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the whole premise of that, I, you know, again, I'll just be honest here. The whole premise of that strikes me as really not only odd, but a little bit, uh, I don't know, dumb is a harsh word, but that's the one that pops into my head because I mean, you, here, look at that, that, the grocery list, spirits, angels, you know, aliens, whatever. I mean, even light beings as vague as that is, or emanations, if you, if you want to take that, draw that from the Gnostic vocabulary. Um, that assumes an intelligent life form. All of those would assume an intelligent life form of some type. If this is the best they can do, hey, <laughs> hey God or Satan or whatever, I'm going to go visit Earth as a glob, 
<laughs> a little glob of light that no one can see with the naked eye. And and I'm going to like tweak a few people because I know if I stand in front of a camera, they're going to see my glob. Like, what is that? I orbs, mean, orbs are just, you know, of uh, I've spent so many years in this realm of paranormal and it is probably at the top of my list of things that I'm just the height of skeptical about because you know (laughs) I am because I can remember all the way back to when I first started you know 15 years ago or whatever it was any paranormal website you would go to whatever where you go into the evidence section it's always orbs it's just here are a thousand pictures of orbs and you know um they of course were all taken in a dark environment with a flash in a creepy mm-hmm. basement that's super dusty and mm-hmm. you know full of moisture you never and, find dust in a basement yeah i know i know it's <laughs> and and i feel like i probably have ca- captured quite a few orbs in in just regular pictures that i've taken and they just don't even phase me because i just it reminds me kind of of that phenomenon that was really popular for a while in the UFO community of rods. If oh, you, yeah. You know, yep. where it's always a bug. <laughs> it's just 100% yep. of the time a bug. Um, but it looks weird because, you know, the the, the aperture and all of the camera lingo. Yeah, but how, how many people can explain how a camera works? I mean, I can't. <laughs> I well, can't uh, either. I, I was actually, when I studied art in college, I actually took some courses on photography and I learned a lot of the basics, whether it's uh, aperture, depth of field, et cetera. So I had a basic understanding. And that's one of the reasons why for me, um, you know, the orb thing had never been interesting to me, not because I knew the answer, but because I knew enough about how the mechanics operated and the problems when I was, you know, uh, studying photography and doing it. You know, there's all kinds of issues that, in fact, these scientists bring up in their papers, you know. So it, it made perfect sense to me, although I had never, like, figured it out i just assumed oh that's obviously mechanical anomalies because i got i had problems like that when i was shooting you know so uh i i was never interested in it but but i think that the way they do it is very helpful like in in the the uh, uh is it the schwartz paper where they they actually make predictions if this is true yeah uh then this will happen no no it's the wood it's the wood one um yeah the wood the wood article so he goes he gives se- the, the hypothesis is this um, you know, of, among many, uh, among several options, one of the main options is there's a, what they call an orb zone, and that is there's a certain zone w- uh, near the lens of the camera when you're shooting that it's more likely uh, oh, okay. orbs are yeah. more likely to occur. And yeah. the concept is that if there's a if there's a strong light source, i.e., f- a flash or something else, um, that what happens is because of the depth of field that the camera lens, you know, depth of field is like you fo- like your, you know, when your eyes focus on something in the distance, you don't see what's up close. It, what's up close is, is uh, out of focus, right? Well, that's what's happening. The suggestion is that well, if, if what's happening is the burst of light is giving such an extreme, uh, uh, whatever, amount of light, and it's b- literally bouncing off of a dust particle that we would not normally see, but because it's a strong burst of light, it creates an excessive amount of energy that can that can be seen you know by the by the mm-hmm. camera and and that because the camera is focusing on something in the distance the out of focusness makes the 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 uh, reflection or whatever that's occurring with the piece of dust makes it bigger and it actually creates these little 
the little orb effect. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of one of the principles. So he said, if this is true, we're going to shoot with different cameras, uh, use under different situations, yeah, like, and shoot and shoot the same thing. Yeah, know? exactly. So, yeah. And 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 that if it's true, then this will happen. And you look at the results, and the results are pretty are pretty strong. Although, admittedly, they say in one area it wasn't what they expected. So I thought that was kind of cool because. Um, you know, the, the, the idea was that, uh, well, like one of the examples was if the flash is cl- on a ch- cheaper camera, the flash is closer to the lens and that closeness to the lens, actually the light source being closer to the lens increases the chances of the anomalies to occur. And sure enough, when they do the test, that's exactly what happens. The, the higher quality cameras that have the flash further away, you don't see as many orbs. The ones that are closer, you see more orbs. Those are the kinds of examples they gave so that you know the site the the observation was cool in the sense that it wasn't absolute but it was strong enough to give that indication you know and the only other thing that i just wanted to you know i'll let you guys say some things too about the the testing but the other thing i thought was really interesting was that the uh there was there were some cases where all the examples okay so so they 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 did a control and 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 the the experimental and one of them was this depth of field I was mentioning. And, and they mentioned that if you have, if you just shoot a, nor- you know, like when you zoom, that's the depth of field. A lot of times zoom can help, help that mm-hmm. or focusing on something in the distance. So what they did was they focused on something closer and then they focused on something in the distance. And the, and, and the, the theory would be if you focused on something more in the distance, you're more likely to get the orbs because of that out of focus effect I mentioned, right? And sure enough, what, what I found most interesting was the normal depth of field created some orbs in this, you know, in these these situations. But in all three instances, when they enhanced the depth of field to the further distance, every single one had orbs. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. sort of indicates that this out of focus, focusing on something in the distance, is what b- makes the dust particles more likely to be visible in the camera. That was you fascinating. Know, the the Schwartz article on uh, the second to the last page. And this is a little bit different, but they tell they tell the reader, they say an anonymous reviewer. So someone who one of their peer reviewers, which, again, this is anonymous peer review, an anonymous reviewer raised the question, if you can take a picture of it, why can't you see it? And they write, given that consumer cameras and the radiation range they record are designed to match what people see, uh, you know, how can a camera capture what the eye cannot see? While photographic film is designed to match what people see in terms of spectral range, digital cameras contain sensors that can record light further into the red and near infrared than our eyes can see. So but basically, that's the answer. It, it, it doesn't matter if your eye can't see it. That doesn't mean that what you're dealing with here when, when it's recorded on film is something from the spirit world. You know, it, it's, a, it's just a different spectrum of, of light that the camera, you know, can deal with and can pick up that your eye can't. So I think that's an important, you know, you know, element to add along with what you just said. But yeah, I, I agree. It was, to me, it was pretty impressive. I'm not a photographer. I've always had this sort of suspicion that, oh, it's probably something to do with a camera and something else, you know, whatever it is, you know, in the room. And, it, and we're not capturing intelligent beings. Again, if, if these are intelligent beings, what I learned from this, therefore, would be I don't need to give you any consideration or any thought ever again because <laughs> you're like weak. Okay. I mean, if, if this is the best you can do, 
Well, at the end, I don't at the, need to think about you again. <laughs> at the end of the Wood uh, article, it said the last sentence was, "In particular, it finally justifies the stance that, unless there is a specific research objective in mind, orb photos are rarely worth the time it takes to analyze them." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. That's the last sentence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I just boy. Well, it's just, it's, it's just, I'm with you, Nat. Yeah. (laughs) It's wishful thinking, isn't it? Because it's obviously you go into it with a bias. You already believe that these things exist and you see them in the image and you have low information about how cameras work, but you, you, you want it to be something. And, and so you start saying things that you don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, they're giving off their own light. They're their own light source, you know? And like in the Schwartz and Kreeth article, it, I, I laughed out loud when I read, uh, I think it said in figure seven, you can see even what looks like a face, perhaps Albert Einstein. Yeah, Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't see it. You know, the whole thing kind of reminded me of of the EMP article or the episode we did where, where people are – and we talked about dreams a little bit. And people are constructing – their brains and their minds want to construct a narrative in what they're seeing. And so you know when you blow up the picture of the orb and then you see things in it, and so then your mind tries to make sense of it and says, oh, there's a face. Like, no, it's just – you know, you're trying to make – trying to make sense your brain's trying to make sense of of randomness basically and that randomness is a function of the light flashing off the water part, particle and the camera trying to decide what how to make it look it's uh, and I, I thought it's interesting learning how these cameras work and how like a dust particle super close to your lens it, your camera can't see it and then as it goes apart goes farther then it looks you know, with the light source behind you, then it looks like a streaky something or an orb. And then as it continues on, it, it just, it, it's just, it's interesting how the camera and the tech and the software tries to figure out what the heck it is. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It tries to make sense of the images coming in. And then when we look at it, our brain tries to make sense of what we're seeing as well. And we're more creative than, than that piece of machinery. <laughs> you know, there, there's there's another one in the Schwartz article. I found it interesting. There, there. Uh, so they show a frame out of this BBC documentary. You know, and it says, you know, the uh, the orb was observed to move across rooms. So, so this was a video camera in low light, so there wasn't a strong source of light, and they actually had it moving across the room in one and, frame. Uh, they show one frame, but no, in the video, the orb okay. actually moves. All right. Now, See, that wasn't here, clear to me. Yeah. yeah well, here's what it says. The camera was the, in, in, the expensive thermal infrared system that, Mike, you'd mentioned that mm-hmm. did not emit light. But here's the thing. Uh, this moving AOI, says, cannot be explained as a ghost image that is an artifact of reflected light. But the problem is, is... It is light. It's it's on it's on a different range or level, you know what I'm saying, of what mm-hmm. we can see, but you wouldn't be able you can't see anything without light is the point. So if the camera is able to capture using thermal inf- uh, infrared, it's actually using light. It's just a different range of frequency, right? And so yeah. to me, eh, that doesn't I don't buy that because you can't see anything if there's not light. So there has to be a light source and I'll, I'll accept that it's a, it's a little bit more odd or more of an anomaly, but it, you can't say that there's no light source going on there. Well, but the, in, in infrared, 
camera is sometimes emits an infrared, you know, like our our security cameras at our house can see in the dark because they're emitting an infrared light, and it's so that is a light source. And sometimes uh, when we first got our camera system, uh, we and they would go off at night, and I like what is going on? And you look, and like sure enough, there's some little insect flying around our our light, but it's so close and it's so bright. I can you can oh look, it's a fairy. No, it's not a fairy. <laughs> so then we had to adjust the settings in the camera. They're only in Mexico. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's that a long right. way to come. You know. I was gonna I was gonna break open the field, but I decided not to. <laughs> anyway, it was a moth, right? And so, but it, just because of how the camera worked, emitting the light in its infrared light. Um, and it, anyway, that's, it's just, it's just picking up radiation and, and new, yeah. newer cameras now will have the filters to, so they don't, they don't show those orbs because they're, they're filtering out that range in the, in the yeah. spectrum. Yeah. You know, you know as, the, go, go ahead, ahead, Matt. I was just going to say as skeptical as we all are, I just want to say that I think this is a good thing for us to be discussing anyway, because there are people in you know, as Mike says, Christian Middle Earth, who are actually bringing things like this to the forefront and saying, like, look at these anomalies we've caught. I don't I'm not going to name any names, but there's a documentary series that that one of the things that they focus on very heavily is this field shot at night, I think, with just a night vision camera. And it's exactly like what Doug was saying. Okay, here's some fairies. And as you're watching it, you're like, nope. Those are bugs. You'd never then, have particles in a field floating around either. Yes, in, in a damp field at <laughs> night with night vision. And there's, you know, and they're like, oh, wow. look at all the orbs. It's a field of orbs. Clearly something is happening, mystical is happening here. And, 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 you know, people trust the person who's delivering this information. And so they take it at face value. And I think that it's really good to discuss this because a lot of people who might be interested in that material will be listening to this show too. And it's, it, it's, it, it's very obvious what they're capturing, but when you put, you know, epic music in the background and, (laughs) you know, and, and zoom in on these images, it, it can get you kind of excited and you say, well, what is that? But what is that? And if you kind of step back from all that sensationalism and you look at it, it's like, well, that's a bug and some dirt and some rain, <laughs> you know, yeah, audio, audio priming there. Isn't yes. That nice? yeah. yeah. It's it's like driving at night in the fog with your brights on. You just don't want to do that because it just creates, you can't see you have yeah. too much white yeah. flashing back at you. The one, the middle, the one article, uh, Pedrozoli talks talks a little bit about that and how, you know, and if and like you said, Nat, in these fields, sometimes you have little water particles kind of floating around, and the flash will pick up on that. Yeah, you know, there's well, something uh, else in the Pedrozoli that I I really loved sure. was they they had a lot of pictures where they focus in on a particular orb from different pictures. So there's multiple orb pictures, and they heightened exaggerated the contrast because sometimes when something's really light a camera actually can pick up more than you realize and you know this is the photoshop trick right and so you you just increase the contrast of the image and it begins to show you there's more to the image uh that was burned into in in there that you just didn't see until you turn the light down and increase the contrast so they Mm -hmm. don't actually you know fiddle with it in in terms of uh altering it yeah they don't just increase Right, they don't change it. So here's what I find interesting was, and you could do, you could check this right now, and you know, while while we're talking, 
uh, like at least half the images actually do look like the aperture of a camera. And I'm not kidding you. Uh, it's the circle in the middle, oh, larger yeah, circle outside, yeah. and then there's like little curved things. Right now, Google, just go up there, and, and if you're listening, it's Google camera aperture or shutter, and there, you can see images where it looks exactly like that orb image. And, and that was one of the things that they were saying in the article was that what's occurring is this light, what, what can be occurring at times is the light is, again, reflecting off the dust or the water particle. It's reflecting back, and the internal mechanism of the aperture is actually getting reflection of itself in that image. And sure enough, that's, that's what it looks like to me. I, I don't think that they made that comparison. You know, you're, you're, you're just ruining this for me because now my definition of spiritual warfare is to walk into rooms with a vacuum. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take care of this room real quickly. You know, just flip that baby <laughs> on and just suck them all in there and put a lid on it. You know, there you go. <sighs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to decrush my soul here. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? Well, <laughs> I mean, people want, a, they want a scientific explanation for what they're seeing or experiencing. And so I, I get the desire to say, oh, this, Look, this is what I experience. Some people, this is what I experience. This is what I see on a regular basis. And no one else sees it. And look, now it's captured on my camera. But it's not exactly the same thing. In fact, it's not the same thing at all. So if people are having spiritual yeah. experiences, it's not being captured in their camera. Right. They, they, they are looking for some way to validate, like you said, some experience. But, I mean, it, the, just take what you just said and then team it up with what Nat said. I mean, this is actually an important topic because, you know, all of us would – you know, acknowledge, you know, a spiritual reality. And so if you have someone who experiences something and then they marry that to this and then somewhere along the line, you know, they, they figure out, you know what, that those orb photographs, that was just nothing. So that they, they put themselves sort of in, in jeopardy, or at least that, that, uh, you know, belief, you know, could, could easily just sort of be swept away, pardon the pun, but, uh, you know, swept away with, you know, finding a natural explanation to this other thing over here, you know, when you connect these things and then one of them gets destroyed or undermined, there's the, the danger is very real to collapse the other side of this, the other thing that it's married to. So I, you mean, I, I personally see this kind of happening in reverse a lot where, you know, someone could be a believer, you know, in, the Bible or, you know, theism or something like that. And they will abandon that for, again, what I think in my head. I mean, I, I would never say this you know, to someone, but like, that's the dumbest reason in the world to chuck your Christianity or chuck, you know, theism, you know, because they, they had married it to something that was deeply flawed, but they didn't know it. And later on, they find out that, hey, that's deeply flawed. And then the whole thing just, it's a house of cards. You know, the whole thing comes down and, you know, for them in their head. So, yeah, that's important. You know, people do want some sort of, you know, material validity, you know, so they want some validation in some way. And I agree, they, they could be really prone to get that validation in some really deeply flawed things. And that puts, that's actually dangerous. You know, that, that's intellectually dangerous. I don't, I don't want to call it irresponsible because a lot of people just do that without thinking about it. It's a reflex, but it's, it's actually really dangerous. You know, I, I run into that kind of thing that really hurts people a lot. I don't know about you guys, but. Yeah, I think that that's a very important conversation to have. And I, I feel like it's always been kind of 
my mission because if you're, you know, as a Christian, if your foundation isn't in the scripture and in the gospels and, and in your faith and you, you know, there, for example, there's a lot of people who in this sort of fringy realm who will say, you know, if you could just explain this one issue to people, they could get saved, you know, and you know, whether it's something as outrageous as the flat earth, sorry to bring it up or something like that, but they'll say, you know, this is getting people saved because they, they, they see this anomalous thing and then they come to this conclusion that, yeah. well, then God must be real. But if for some, if, if as tends to happen, that ends up getting challenged because it was a flimsy thing in the first place, they, their faith crumbles because it wasn't built on a good foundation, if that makes sense. And, and so while these kind of topics are fun to look into and, and interesting to consider, if we're using them to try to get people saved, um, and we can't even build a good argument for it in the first place. If it crumbles, then what happens to that person's faith? What happens to that person's, yeah. um, you know, assurance because they built it on this foundation of sand instead of something solid. Um, so that that's such an important, I don't know if I articulated that very well, but it's such an important conversation because I see it happening all the time, even if it's something like, uh, from anything from paranormal issues to the age of the earth, whatever it is, if people are hanging their whole faith system on this one thing and not on what they get strictly from the gospels of Jesus Christ, they're, they're, they're in danger of having their faith shaken when someone challenges that thing that they were so excited about. I, I'm really not saying that well, but hopefully people understand what I'm what I'm getting at because it's a big, big problem. Experiences are so subjective that you can't base, you know, and so then we use science to try to validate, like you, mm-hmm. like we were saying, our experiences or people's experiences. And I, I think a, it's just a better way to validate experiences is fellowship, is, is getting with other people and and just sharing. You don't need to get a, you know, if that your faith can't be built on a like you're saying now i i, I totally get, get what you're saying I'm, i i can't say it any better so i'm not going to try it's <laughs> it's just it's it frustrates me when people build try to build a faith structure on on these peripheral issues mm-hmm. and and because if a peripheral issue gets challenged then their faith collapses and it, it's just I, and i you see that a lot obviously not with just flat earth but like young earth and all sorts of all sorts of peripheral issues that miss the point of the gospel and so i yeah i just don't go there and we don't need to have you don't have to validate spirit realm with science you can't yeah. prove you can't use science to prove god and people will say oh this proves god i'm like why are you trying to prove god <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's uh i'm yeah, not sure that, science is designed to prove things in the spirit realm so why are we trying yeah this this is what you just said is why you know i i try to make the point and a lot of Christians have um, this idea that we must reconcile or, you know, validate the scripture through science. And so they, they marry the two really, you know, they do all they can in, in some cases to marry the two. And, you know, I'm one of the people that, that say, you know, that, that's, you shouldn't do that. And, and God was wise to not um, 
you know, inspiration doesn't work that way, where God downloads 21st century technological knowledge into the head of a second millennium BC writer. You know, and, and God was very wise to not do that because our understanding of the natural world will change. It will shift. And sometimes it will change dramatically. It'll be paradigm level changes. And so if, if you're thinking this thought, you know, it might work for you this year, but five years from, you know, down the road, it might not. Or, or somebody else, you know, could be reading this in a hundred years, you know, a hundred years from now and just thinking, well, that was a stupid argument. You know, like, you know, didn't they know that this scientific thing works this way and that that was based on on antiquated knowledge of a hundred years ago or 500 years ago and you know i think god was really wise to not have inspiration work that way you know it, this is part of my my lecture that i do about the, the bible not being a channeled document you know we, we have an x-files view of inspiration that just needs to to, to go away you know it, and and this is part of the reason you know it 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 marries two things together and the one just invariably will shift with human knowledge uh just experimentation better knowledge of the natural world and when you do that you you really put the other side of the equation in jeopardy and the people who create this marriage the other thing a little more out in the periphery that it does is it fosters terrible bible interpretation now i always think of the race issue here you know how how people with with very good motives in the you know 16th 17th 18th 19th centuries trying to find all these different races that you know people had discovered since the age of exploration and these other you know continents in the bible somewhere you know like uh, new zealand's not mentioned in the bible well, i can find it in there some you know yeah. you know so we have then we turn out you know a passage in genesis talking about continental drift when it's talking about nothing of the sort you know, or or we have races that, you know, well, some come from Adam and others come from, you know, other humans, you know, and, and surely the ones that are from from Adam, who was called the son of God, they're most like God than the, you know, these other ones. So these other races are, are lesser than yeah. the ones who are Adamic. I mean, it, it it's just bad Bible interpretation, but it, it come it came from, in that case, the, the real the, the compulsion where people were given a false either or choice. Well, either this is, you know, if it's not in the Bible, then it, and, and it's true, then the Bible must be wrong. So you got to pick one or the other. You either junk your Bible or you find it, you know, find this stuff in the Bible somewhere. You know, you make it stand on its head to find it in there. And we still have people doing that today to prop up, you know, some sort of, in their mind, an apologetic or biblical response to something, you know, in, you know, in the scientific world or some other aspect of you know, civilization. This is not and it, some, it's just a dangerous tactic. Yeah, I, I believe it's, in fact, I, I don't think this is a minor issue. I think this is probably one of the biggest issues why Christianity is failing when, when I, I deeply believe this after studying this more and, and, and thinking about it, what we're talking about here is, is called scientific concordism is one way of mm-hmm. describing it, and that is the belief that the Bible concords with science. Of course, what they, they don't realize is their assumption is what we call science now, like you've said, is our, always changing, and that's what they don't realize. They've already built into their system the, the failure of it, and I all, all often liken it to what I call hyperliteralism, where, you know, of course, yeah, the Bible means something, quote, literally but there's so many ways in which they understood language so differently from us that for us to read it and impose this 
this like everything scientifically precise and all that and historically precise in our terms i believe that is what has caused so many young Christ- young christians when they go to college mm-hmm. to lose their faith that's what's the heart and soul of it is this mistaken understanding of biblical inerrancy what it means to be god's word because when you do f- get faced with real science not it's not perfect but nonetheless science is strong it's powerful it's a it's a and and you've linked it to this hyperliteralistic, you know, this is what the Bible says. So, but then when you actually see the science, of course, it makes sense why so many of them give up their faith, because they're linking what you mm-hmm. like what you said. They're linking their the the truth of their their uh, uh, of the of the Bible of God to not to science, but really to their own our own per, rel, current cultural understanding of it, and that's the fundamental flaw that that I think. Is, is at the heart of a lot of these Bible arguments, whether it's end times or science, all these things. It's Christians who are like hyper-literalistically reading the text and assuming that the way they did history, the way they did science is the way that we do it now. And it's just not true. It's like Doug said, there you, you have examples where things on the theological periphery, uh, the, the core being defined as the gospel. So things like end times and you know, any number of issues would, would be peripheral to that in that sense. Yeah. But they people focus on those things, and then they get into this method, and they commit their faith not to the core, you know, which, again, is I, – I, I, this is why I prefer approaching things from a coherence perspective. You know, I mean, I, I can – we can all come across good examples of somebody who aren't – who isn't a Christian that developed a really – strong, logical, rational, philosophical defense of God that, that, that works pretty well. It's worked pretty well for a couple millennia. You know, I mean, that's not going to go away because the rules of coherence and argumentation aren't shifting, you know, like, like science, you know, that, that, you know, if you're going to accept rational discourse, you know, the, the framework for doing that is going to be very consistent, you know, over time, over long stretches of time. But, you know, like, like Doug said, you know, People get get focused on some peripheral item, and then they create this marriage in their head, and, and they they actually get they either get off they not only get off track with the gospel, but they they sort of redefine the gospel. The the core becomes defined by the periphery, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and then when the periphery fails, it's like that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. they they get their identity in these other issues, mm-hmm. and then and the, so and then. It, that's why people get so emotional. They get so tied up in peripheral issues because their identity, they, they spent, you know, years sometimes researching and building a, a foundation and identity in this. Then if you take that away, then it just, it's like Nat says, it's building your house in the sand and our, our identity shouldn't be in, in these peripheral issues. I mean, we can look at them, we can have fun with them, we study them, but you know, like you said, with the eschatology, I, I had I, my identity wrapped up in a certain perspective on that for decades. and. And then whenever that gets challenged, and that just shapes your whole worldview. It shapes how you look at everything. And and at some point, I had to realize that's not what my identity is. That's, Jesus didn't die, so I could live with my identity in that, right? Yeah. And you know, it, it's frustrating because I can almost read the minds of the future listeners um, right at this moment, thinking. And, and I've been contacted by a number of people who have said, you know. 
why are you always trying to debunk all of these supernatural things, you know, and then they go into, you know, this is, if you're a believer, everything you, you have to have this supernatural worldview. And, and I'm, I'm in a hundred percent agreement. I, I have not, nothing but a supernatural worldview, maybe more so than a lot of my fellow Christians, but I don't require all of this stuff that's so easily disproven to have that supernatural worldview. Um, my faith informs so much of it. What I read in the Bible informs so much of it. And then on the other hand, you say, uh, they'll say, you know, um, when, when you hear someone like uh, Brian say something like, you know, hyperliteralism, and they'll say, well, don't you believe that what the Bible says is true? How could you even be a Christian if you don't believe what the Bible says is true? And we're over here saying, we hundred percent believe that what the Bible says is true. It's this, it's this argument that goes in circles mm-hmm. um, because people, as Doug was saying, they, they attach their emotions to these pet theories or side, uh, side issues that really ha- at the end of the day, shouldn't be what our faith is, is built on. But I have sympathy at the same time because I know that like my feelings have been hurt, you know, throughout the years as I've thought something was true and then somebody proves me wrong. And I'm so grateful that it never would shake my faith because my faith wasn't based on that. But I know that there are people out there where I won't go so far as to say their faith is based on these side issues. But it's their their emotions are so wrapped up yes. in them that they can get discouraged, you know. And and so everybody needs to be careful what they say as fact. My we got a new pastor at our church, and his wife just posted on Facebook. I think it was yesterday. One of the most underutilized phrases is. I don't have enough information to give a response to that, you know, which is so true. No, none of us are humble enough to say, I don't know enough about that to talk about it. And am I, am I allowed to, am I allowed to do some research before I have to give you an answer? (laughs) Exactly. Is that an an unreasonable thing to ask? (laughs) And and look, I, I, I find that, that, or, or I believe that the fundamental key to beginning to, unravel this or to beginning to break down that ignorance that we're talking about because i believe this is what i went through and i also have seen others go through it and it's how i try to communicate to people it's very simple it comes down to this that there when you begin to understand what it really means that there is a difference between the word of god and my interpretation of the word of god and if you once you begin to understand that it's because it solves a lot of the problems and enables you to be able to disagree with people and and you know change your mind on theology because you realize well just because I've believed all this and now th- what this person's saying makes a lot of sense and it looks like it's more believable we we have like we, we because we've wrapped ourselves up in our interpretation as the word of god we think we're giving up the word of god but all you're doing is just no no you just have to give up your interpretation of it that's all yeah you know, we uh, before we wrap up, I think it's also important to f- to flip this a little bit. The other side of this coin is that people who are antagonistic to people with faith will 
they're they're very well attuned to the fact that people of faith will try to defend their faith through these flawed means. Now, let, let's just use the articles here as an illustration. I don't I don't know, and I don't even I'm not led to think in any way that the authors of these articles are trying to undermine the notion of the supernatural. Okay, so let's be be clear about that. But if they if if I were the author of, of one of the, one or you know all of these articles and it was my intention to target people who i know have hooked their belief in a supernatural world to orbs it would be very easy to add a paragraph at the end of one of any one of these just destroying their faith you know again and sound academic by doing so it's like well here you know you you know i went into this thinking that there was something to that the supernatural realm, you know, might be real, and 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 I got interested in this because I had a conversation with someone, you know, though about orbs, you know, and and boy, it looked really impressive. Like finally, you know, I've got some proof of the supernatural world, and then I decided to look into it, and it's just jack junk. You know, I don't know, understand how this person can believe that there's a, a spiritual reality because look at this. I mean, I read a lot of this material from skeptics, like, like uh, again, a, a lay-level book like Spook. I don't know if any of you have read that. Yeah. But, but critics, skeptics, will assume, they will assume that if something is real, it is testable through the tools of science. So they will actually, you know, sort of either talk themselves into or use this as a weapon, this notion that well, if there's a spiritual world, then I have to be able to like reproduce that in a lab. And since I can't, therefore, ergo, there must not be a spiritual world. I mean, they, they will use the same mechanism, the same approach, the same method as the believer will to destroy belief. Yeah. And I think, I think Christians need to, to wake up you know, to, to this kind of thing. And a lot of them aren't exposed to this because they don't read skeptical material. But it, it's very easy to, you know, again, for me to read a book like Spook and go, why would you even ask, why would you even think that if we have a non-material reality, it's subject to material methods of, of you know, of inspection? <laughs> the proposition doesn't make any sense. Why are you trying to, to do this experiment when you're, you're you're using physical means, material means, the tools of science to try to reproduce or demonstrate something that by definition isn't in that realm. That just makes no sense propositionally. But they do it all the time. They do it all the time. And then when, then when they fail, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for them. Yeah, they give fodder to the other side. Wasn't it spook where they had the experiment um, where uh, they would measure bodies at the point of death to see yeah. if their weight changed? And, <laughs> yeah, and she, she has. A, yeah, she has actually a good chapter on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I found that very interesting. And then, of course, when you know there's no measurable difference, then people will say, "Well, see, we nothing go. happens." You see, know. Yep. Yep, I proved it. I proved that there's that this is nonsense, you know. But again, the the very approach they're that they're taking, or in that case, I mean that that that's pretty old, you know, late nineteenth, early twentieth yeah. centuries, you know. Just the idea that believers had that they could, you know, measure this somehow. Well, the, it's that the it, mind body problem, you know. Yeah, and, and then yep. neuroscience is really hot right now, so it 
you know, but I think some Christian apologists have done a great job in, in describing the difference between how can you have, you know, how can you have the, the mind and the brain that be two separately things and that the mind can act upon the brain yet not be physical, you know? Um, yeah, I think that fits with it right within what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a number of things like this that is far more sophisticated because you, not only that, but you're going to have, you know, well, there's just a lot, you know, that, that, 50 years from now, it, it's going to really reorient a number of discussions. You know, synthetic biology, I think, is a big deal. Um, you know, e- even the gender issue, not necessarily the science behind that, because I don't think there really is. I, I just got done reading when, when Harry became Sally, if you haven't read that. Yeah, I, I have that book. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it'll infuriate you at the beginning and really, really frighten you. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's a really good book. Well, lots of, lots of data in there, uh, again, from people who aren't grinding any particular acts that are just professionals in various fields saying this is just nonsense you know we're we as a culture are assenting to nonsense to to reach some other preconceived goal and 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 so we're going to have science become the tool of you know agendas and and, and religious agendas yeah religious agendas and and they're they're going to then the the arguments are going to sound sciencey and 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 you know, science can be yielded you know, used as, as a weapon. So if you if you're marrying your faith to these things that are subject to the rules of science or the vocabulary, even the vocabulary of science, that's really a bad idea. <laughs> it's really yeah, yeah. bad. Although I do have to say, like I think, like Mike, you you mentioned this about on the other side, and that is that scientists and you know modern promoters of science or whatever. They have actually become more and more religious, so to speak, or more, let's put it this way, more philosophical and less scientific um, in, in light of things like these gender definitions and stuff. But, I, but it's funny because I heard – so I heard the, this guy who um, – I can't remember his name. He's a famous scientist, recently wrote a book about nothing, right? You know, like uh, – what was his name? Um, ah can't remember, but the idea of the universe came out of nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he writes this whole book on it, and he was on Dennis Prager, and Dennis Prager is this Jewish guy, and he's not intimidated. He's, he, he doesn't need to win fights. He just likes to clarify things, and he's trying to understand, like, what, what are you talking about? And I swear to you, you know, I try to be you know, unbiased in my listening <laughs> because I want to be open-minded, but I kid you not, you have this Lawrence Krauss, that's it, Lawrence Krauss, this famous scientist, and I kid you not, this guy was speaking more religiously and philosophically, and Dennis Prager, who's just a Christian commentator, was more scientific than this scientist. Mm-hmm. And it, it just showed to me like what's what's going on, you know, in that this you know right. he wants to believe a particular thing, just like you know, the, the ones who want to destroy faith, they want to believe a particular thing too. Exactly. And so yeah. and so science, you know, can be can be used as a weapon. You know, it can it can be a club, you know, more than a shield. You know, so again, to wrap up here, I, I think I, I agree, you know, even though, you know, again, as going into this topic, I never gave it a lot of thought because I just sort of assumed that there was some sort of mechanistic explanation for this, which, which the articles, again, validated. I think somebody like me who, you know, I don't I don't know anything about photography or how it works. I, I was able to to track, you know, with, you know, with, with the material. But and even though it seemed really to shut the door on this, this, at least this perspective that this, this, you know, this supposition about orbs, 
it's still a really important topic because it does, just as we spent the second half talking about, it really does get us into this. Like, why are we doing this? You know, why, why are we, you know, why do people marry two things like this to, again, most of the discussion was about like to defend their belief in the supernatural. You know, why? I mean, we don't, we, we need to start thinking about, again, what's on the periphery, what's the core, what, what, what's our approach, you know, to these things? Is it a sound approach or not? We actually need to put a little more thought into, into our faith. <laughs> well, can, can I share uh, a, you know, a perspective on this? Why I felt like we wanted to talk about it. Sure. Well, my daughter was quite young and, and even now, but she described seeing things that were like, like she called them multicolored dots or rainbow dots because they were basically orbs floating around and she could see them all the time and they were kind of freaking her out. And I, she was young and we couldn't see them. When she realized we couldn't see them, then she kind of got scared. And so I said, well, you know, I tried to, I prayed against them and, you know, they would you just get out or something like that. And I, I said, are they still there? She said, yeah. I said, well, they're not entities. I mean, they're not intelligent. I don't know what you're seeing, honey, but they're not alive. So let's just leave it alone. That's great. You know, and so like there, I, you know, use decent theology to, to you know, in, in, a, in a weird area. Mm-hmm. I, still don't, I, don't, I still don't know what they are. I, I don't know. I can speculate. Who knows? But then, you know, then I can see her going on YouTube and, and finding videos about these, you know, pictures of these these orbs. And saying, oh, that's kind of like what I see or saw here. Hey, look, there's photo, photographic evidence. Like, no, there's not photographic evidence. And I'm not denying your your experience, you, you know, and we can bring good thinking to both. Mm-hmm. In yeah. my opinion. How, how old? How old was she? Or she was like she? four or five. Four. Now she's 14. Yeah. But at the time, she was baffled when we, she realized we couldn't see what she, the heck she was sure. talking about. And, it, and, it, and it's hard. You know, it's hard for a four year old to articulate anything. You. Yeah. Or, yeah. What what you're supposed to be looking at, you know, right. or, or or how, again, how how her brain is putting something together and, and try to convey that to you to do the same thing. You know, it's just, yeah. just you know, it's difficult for adults to do too. Like, I follow uh, on Twitter faces in things. It's a Twitter account. You know, it's it's all it's you know Paridola, Dolia, you know, and it's a fun account. And every once in a while, something will go on, you know, come up there, and it's like, dude, I don't see that at all. we're like it'll get a thousand you know thumbs up or whatever it is on twitter you know like um and it's like no just not getting that you know where most of the time i will so sometimes it's just hard to you know you got two different brains you got my brain and the brain of somebody else Mm -hmm. like you said earlier just doing something with what what it's processing something visual in the way it processes the way your brain or somebody else's brain processes so it's hard you know it's hard to you know that but i i, I kind of like the way you approach that with their you know theologically well can't be this you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're good you know? <laughs> and it probably helped you know I, yeah I, I would think so so yeah well thanks everybody um for coming together again again i th- this again i think it's this was an important topic even though again the, the articles there and again the articles really kind of explain why there isn't a whole lot of research on this because you know if you if listeners read through them you know you, you, you watch the video which is it's a good illustration but even if you don't the articles themselves you know will sort of explain why people don't spend a whole lot of time in this area I think for good reason but it's still an important topic so yeah thanks for getting together thanks guys it was fun 
Bye. Bye. Bye.